You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What up, everybody? Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Abacabo Cafe. Thank you very much for joining me. Today, I'm going to be analyzing OVA number four, entitled Hurricane, Akane the Shape-Changing Girl. This OVA was originally released on February the 1st of 1990, which means the events are not entirely contemporaneous with the release date. In the TV series, every episode that we see is set in or around the date it originally aired. This episode is quite clearly set in the summertime, as we will discuss, and yet it was released February 1st of 1990. There is some contention about the setting, of course, as an OVA. Does this fold in with the television series? Did this occur somewhere between television episode one and episode 48, or did this come after the end of the TV uh, series? Certainly, it, it makes zero sense to place this chronologically after the movie Anohi. So that idea is out the window. It has to come before Anohi. And yet, wh- where? Uh, there are some details mentioned in this episode we'll talk a little bit about. Regardless, I like watching it right here early on in the uh, the summer television episodes, in and amongst the summer television episodes right around episode 1718 is a good spot for this in my opinion because the events of this episode take place on the first day of Natsuyasumi. This episode was directed by Mori Takeshi. This is the first episode of Orange Road directed by Mori and Mori will also be returning for OVA number five, an unexpected situation. This makes Mori an interesting director in that he is the only person to have directed the character of Akane because Akane only appears in today's OVA number four as well as OVA number five. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. This episode was written by Terada Kenji, which shouldn't surprise anybody. He wrote most of these episodes. He wrote the movie Anohi. He wrote the movie Shinkor. I mean, the guy is almost as prolific 
writing these Orange Road stories as uh, Matsumoto himself was. But in this case, I think it does provide a desirable sense of continuity from the television series. We we want to see characters in these OVAs portrayed in a consistent fashion as we saw them in the TV series a few years earlier. So we don't want a gap in production to, uh, to mean different crew and uh, different filmmakers who might take a different spin on on some of these kind of beloved characters and situations. So the, the recipe is good for a very good episode. And this OVA is near and dear to my heart as well, because this was the second episode I ever saw. We, we all know Animago, when they first released the OVAs, they put OVA 3 and OVA 4, this episode, on one VHS tape, and that was the first one that they released. So naturally, for a lot of Americans my age, that was these were the first two episodes that we saw. So special place in my heart, because the first time watching that, that video cassette was like, kind of blew my mind on the Orange Road thing. So it's hard for me not to look at this episode with a certain amount of affection because of my previous experience with it, but I'll try to be fair. So we open with a title card that's different than the TV series. I think that's pretty standard for these uh, OVA. There's no orange ripples on the dark background with that uh, chalkboard-like motif to the text. It's okay. I mean, these are OVAs. They're not part of that series. They don't fold in with the television series perfectly stylistically. Now, in his opening uh, voiceover, Kasuga also mentions that it was the summer vacation of his 11th grade year in high school. So it's just not going to fit in perfectly with the television show. We know in the television show, he was roughly in ninth grade. The The summer vacation that we see uh, depicted in episodes 17, 18, 19, 20, that, that area there are all occurring during his ninth grade year. He was 15 at the time. He claims to be 17 in this episode. He refers to himself as 17 at the end of this episode, which is two years older than the the TV show. So if he was 15 in 1987, it makes sense he would be 17 in 1989. It makes sense given the release date of February 1st, 1990, that this would be set the previous summer. So it lines up for a semi-contemporaneous setting, but it really doesn't jive with the television series that was aired a couple of years earlier. So there, there is at least one detail of this show that we have to disregard. So we either have to consider that Kasuga is a faithful narrator. Kasuga has shown himself, proven himself to be a somewhat unreliable narrator. But if we take him to be a reliable narrator, and he's not wrong about being in the 11th grade, and he's not wrong about being 17, then... This actually takes place after the television series by a few years, at least a year, maybe a little bit more than a year after the end of the television series. Or if we consider Kasuga an unreliable narrator, perhaps as he's doing his uh, voiceover narration, he's misremembering his grade or his age or both, then we could consider this episode as occurring amongst the television episodes 17, 18, 19 in that range, and that these these events occurred in 1987. I think it's kind of splitting hairs, and I don't think it's the point of the show to have this really airtight timeline. It's very obvious that the events that we see in the movie Anohi have not yet taken place, just based on how the characters interact with each other and everything that's going on. And so as 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 is the case with many of these episodes, 
we just got to take it with a grain of salt. Again, it's a summer episode. Everything here is set in the summer, so I feel like it's appropriate to watch this in and amongst the summer episodes. And for me, at least, I have a hard time viewing this episode as if the events of TV episode 47 and 48 have already occurred. For me, it's hard to imagine them taking a step back from episode 47, episode 48, in order for the events of this OVA to unfold. So I would also mention that in this episode, Ayukawa is unaware of Kasuga's power. She hasn't learned about the power yet. So I really don't feel like this episode could take place after episode 48 of the TV series. I think it's it's better to consider Kasuga an unreliable narrator and that he misremembered his age and his grade when he was performing his voiceover narration. A consistent stylistic episode of the Orange Road series is that there's always an audio or visual indication that one of the Kasuga family, one of the espers, is using the power. For Kasuga and his sisters, there's always a sound that occurs when they use it. Akane is interesting in that there's a visual representation of her power use as well, and that occurs here in this episode. We see that the atmosphere around the the person that she's using the power on fills with this like purple haze as she's using it, as she's using her power of suggestion. It's important to remember that Kasuga describes her power as the power of suggestion. The purple haze is just for us as the viewer, though. If a purple haze were to follow Akane around when she was impersonating someone else, it would be very obvious to everyone with eyes that, that there's just this purple cloud following her around, like Pigpen in the Peanuts, you know, how he had that dusty cloud following him. Moreover, she wouldn't be able to fool other espers like Kasuga. She fools Kasuga at the beginning of the episode. He thinks that she's Shikaru. He would know well enough to look for the purple haze. So it's important to keep in mind that the purple haze is, it's something like the titles. Whenever a title appears on the screen, there aren't words that are floating in the diegetic world that these characters inhabit. The purple haze is the same thing. There's not a purple haze that follows Akane around every time she uses the power. Otherwise, you'd just look for the purple haze and you would know that that's Akane, regardless of whoever she's appearing to you as in that moment. So we know that the purple haze is for us, the viewer, and it is to communicate to us that the character we're seeing on screen is Akane, regardless of how she's animated at the time. Also, we know that Matsumoto was a tremendous fan of rock music. Could the Purple Haze be a reference to Jimi Hendrix? Probably not, but every time I say Purple Haze, that's, I think, of Jimi Hendrix. Now, the improvements in animation are immediately noticeable here, just as they were in OVA 3. We noticed these animation improvements. We noticed the impact that a higher budget and uh, maybe more production time is having. Akane appearing as Shikaru, when when her hair, when she lifts her head off the pillow, is... It's, it's animated just with a lot of detail and, and, and attention to detail, the way it moves. They're, the animation is smoother. They're, the lines are more defined. There are more lines. The colors are, are uh, richer, crisper. They look a little bit more vibrant, and there's more of them. There's more shading involved. So you can tell that there's a little bit more time spent on the animation, and it's apparent from the, the get-go of this episode. So I think that's also something to appreciate. Akane's flashback of meeting Shikaru also represents a pretty big stylistic departure from the rest of the episode. We often get flashbacks in Orange Road. We get flashback sequences quite frequently throughout the series. It's very common for 
the filmmakers to show us via a character's imagination or recollection something that happened to them previously, whether it's Ayuko remembering years before when she found the four-leaf clover and uh, Shikaru compelled her to hand it over, or maybe it's Kasuga remembering just the evening before when he was embarrassed saying something, trying to kiss Ayuko when he was drunk or something like that. We oftentimes see some form of flashback uh, that's presented to us, the audience, and it's usually presented with with stylistic trappings that are uh, audio and visual in nature that tell us that this is a flashback of some sort. So in this case, Akane's flashback of her first meeting with Shikaru on the train, it's in black and white. It's a very frequent um, a flashback motif utilized in Orange Road. And then the animation here is also jerky. It's not smooth. It's almost as if we're seeing a series of still images. I mean, we're always seeing a series of still images when we watch any type of film or animation, right? It's called constant flicker fusion. You can Google that and go look up constant flicker fusion. It's not fusing here. We're seeing a series of still images that are set far enough apart from each other that the animation has a jerky appearance Again, it's like we're seeing a series of still images and we're not seeing still images that flow fast enough for those images to fuse and create fluid motion in our brain. Also, no sound from the flashback is heard. Instead, Akane's conversations with Kasuga continue. So the audio that we're hearing is is Akane talking back and forth with Kasuga as we're seeing the events that she's relating from her flashback. The dialogue from the flashback sequence appears as subtitles on the screen, which is actually very confusing because we're seeing everything subtitled as Westerners. If you don't speak Japanese and you're not watching the original Japanese language track without any subtitles, then you're seeing the original Japanese subtitles where Akane's dialogue is rendered in Japanese. You're seeing the translation of that into English. And then you're also seeing Akane's conversation with Kasuga in yellow at the bottom of the screen. So it actually gets stylistically it gets very cluttered and and watching the original without the english subtitles declutters the screen and i think it preserves the stylistic nature of that of that scene although i don't think it's completely ruined by the presence of the the preponderance of english subtitles it definitely takes a little bit away from uh the original stylistic intention of that scene in my opinion at least so i've placed this episode here for a reason in television episode 17 we see Kasuga invited to the pool, and that creates some conflict with him because he's already got plans with Ayukawa, but he can't say no. Now, in this OVA, he's invited to the pool once again, but this time, Kasuga shows a little bit more maturity than he did in TV episode 17. He is very upfront, and he says that he's made other plans for the day. He can't possibly accept the pool invite. Akane is a little taken aback by this. She She's surprised that he wouldn't break these pre-existing plans in order to go to the pool with his girlfriend, Shikaru. And she continues to really butt in hard on Kasuga's business. She really seems very invested in Shikaru's interests because I guess Shikaru helped her on the, on the train the previous night. But it also seems like she has a very dominant and controlling personality. I think we all know people like that who... Uh, just want to take over. Here, let me do that for you. If they see you having any difficulty, or even if you're just not doing it the way that they're doing it, there are people like this in the world. So it's, I think it's easy to relate if you've ever encountered the type of person who will just take something from you. Here, let me do it. You're not doing it right here. Allow me. 
Akane very much has that going on for her. Very dominant, very controlling. She seems to know what's best for Kasuga, and she doesn't have any problem letting him know that she knows best, and she's going to exert her will over him. He doesn't get a say in this. His previous plans are unimportant. She made friends with his girlfriend, Shikaru. Shikaru wants them to meet at the pool. Kasuga, you're going to the pool, as far as Akane is concerned. She really wants to steer Kasuga's relationships for him in this episode, rather than allowing him to do his own thing, live his own life, and ultimately deal with his own shit. I mean, if Kasuga gets himself into some shit with these two women, Ayuko and Shikaru, that's on him. And Akane is not uh, willing to allow that to be on him. She doesn't want Kasuga to be in control of his own relationships because from her perspective, he's just messing it up. He's spoiling a good thing, and he needs to leave well enough alone, which is ironic because Akane is not leaving well enough alone. Kasuga's looking tan as f- And it's only the first day of summer vacation, dog. He's been hitting a tanning booth or something. We hear an updated teleportation sound right around here. Kasuga teleports to get away from Akane. And um, the sound is a little different than the one that they use in the television show. Kasuga, I guess he forgot Akane can teleport as well. She gets to the tennis court even before Kasuga does. And Kasuga teleported there. So, you know, obviously you forgot this is your Esper cousin who can do all the shit you can do, plus she can uh, make herself appear like somebody else. There's a moment where Komatsu and Hata very openly acknowledge that Kasuga is cozy with both Ayukawa and Shikaru. They actually claim out loud that he's getting it from both women. And it seems a little meta. It trades on the knowledge that fans would have by 1990 that Shikaru and Ayukawa both love Kasuga and that Kasuga has something of a relationship with both women. I think this particular sequence is a little bit of a wink at the audience. By the time this was released, if you were an Orange Road fan, you would have seen the entire television series. You would have seen the movie Anohi, which was released in October of 89, some six months before this OVA hit the shelves. So you would have had an idea that he had at least something of a relationship going with both women and the fact that Komatsu and Hata are acknowledging this very openly. It seems to at least benefit from the knowledge that an audience would have by 1990. It certainly doesn't seem to fit with the summer of 1987 in which Komatsu and Hata only seem kind of vaguely aware that Ayukawa and Kasuga have anything going on. In the summer of 1987 and throughout much of the television show, Komatsu and Hata really seem kind of oblivious to any feelings Kasuga has with Ayukawa. They don't really understand why he hangs around with her, but from their point of view, she ain't worth it. She's a delinquent. They don't associate with that type, and they they don't really understand why he does either, and, and they wish he wouldn't. And we get a funny scene here where Akane unloads on Kasuga regarding how scuzzy Ayukawa must be for stealing Shikaru's man, only for her to be completely enamored of Ayukawa. The immediate moment Akane lays eyes on her. And there's this soft focus filter that's applied to Ayuko all the time. Ayuko's close-up gets that, that soft focus filter that I mentioned before. It has those callbacks to the old Hollywood, classic Hollywood, a 1930s filmmaking. And it's used, again, to kind of glamorize the, the uh, subject. And it's, it's used effectively here. It, it sort of tells you something about the nature of Akane's gaze at, at Ayukawa, that she's very, very impressed with the way Ayukawa looks and immediately besotted with Ayukawa. 
you even get these like non-diegetic fireworks bursting behind Akane. It's anything but subtle in case you weren't getting the subtlety. Uh, but these non-diegetic fireworks are even going off behind Akane to just to let you know what's happening inside of her brain right now. Like here's a visual representation of the dopamine that's like bursting through all her neurotransmitters right now inside of her brain upon seeing Ayukua for the first time. And of course, Ayukua seems a little uncomfortable with Akane's attention. Akane had known Ayukua for roughly seven seconds before she started sniffing Ayukua's hair. What the fuck, man? But it is kind of true though. I mean, there's certainly evidence that Ayukua sometimes feels guilty about her affection for Kasuga. Unlike the four-leaf clover from TV episode 15 or the goldfish from OVA 3, Ishikaru did come by Kasuga somewhat honestly. Shikaru knew very little of Ayukua's first encounter with Kasuga. Shikaru's affection for Kasuga is genuine, albeit maybe a little overbearing. Kasuga is very much to blame for not pumping the brakes on Shikaru earlier in the series, but uh, Ayukua really can't help how she feels about Kasuga, but it always strikes me here that Akane is not completely wrong in talking about how Maybe it's not right for Ayukawa to uh, move in on Kasuga, knowing she's got Shikaru beat in every box Kasuga could possibly check. Now, in general, in this episode, Kasuga does a much better job being assertive. As I mentioned a moment ago, he actually speaks up that he had previous plans and he can't hang out with Shikaru today. It's not working very well in this episode either, though. I mean, at least it's not him being boneheaded and relying on the power to help his ass cash the check that his mouth wrote, like in TV episode 17. Speaking of assertiveness, it's actually a nice change of pace. It's a nice role reversal to see Ayukawa being dragged away by Akane. and She's calling out to Kasuga for once. It's usually Kasuga being dragged away from Ayukawa by Hata and Komatsu or something like that. It's not just Akane's meddling that causes conflict for Kasuga. I mean, it's chiefly Akane's meddling that causes the conflict for Kasuga in this episode, but Kasuga would have been into some shit here regardless. The pool that Shikaru invited everyone to is attached to the club where Ayukawa and Kasuga were planning to play tennis. So even without Akane being super pushy, even without Akane being there, Kasuga and Ayukawa would have run into Shikaru and the twins and Komatsu and Hata there because they're in the same facility, the pool and the tennis courts. And of course, speaking of tennis, Ayukua is amazing. She's a gifted athlete. Anything re regarding athletics, she's going to be great at. I know a lot of people like Akane. I think Akane is a somewhat popular character, particularly because uh, she is a pretty positive queer representation for uh, Orange Road. I'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, my analysis of OVA 5. But uh, here, she she kind of got on my nerves. She was just too domineering uh, over Kasuga, and Kasuga's just way too much of a... He's too much of a type B. I mean, he she's like total strong type A, and, and uh, it always killed me a little bit that he just kind of let her steamroll over him. But something that I appreciate about Akane here, regarding her powers... There's a level of craft here that you have to respect. She forges a person's appearance and voice easily enough, but she has to really act to sell it, meaning she has to act like the person that she's appearing as, mannerisms, body language, everything. The weakness is that she can only appear as someone else to one person at a time, apparently, because she appears as Kasuga to Shikaru about midpoint in the episode in order to spread oil on her back. 
But then Costco, witnessing this from across the pool, he sees Akane spreading the oil on Shikaru. Costco would know by simple deduction, very simple deduction, that it's not him. If you look over and you see a person that looks like you, it's not you, you're you. So it would have made sense that even if she looked like him, he would have known that it was Akane. But what actually happens is Shikaru sees Kasuga, but like the 50 other people in and around the pool see Akane. Seems like there's some limited utility to that particular power because it really only works on one person, maybe two at a time. I don't know what her max is, but it doesn't seem to work on everybody in the environment. So it's important to keep in mind, she doesn't transform her appearance like Mystique from the X-Men movies. She doesn't she doesn't transform her exterior to appear to any uh, other viewer, any device, any camera as another person. What she does is she uses the power of suggestion. It's almost like hypnosis that she's able to use on one specific person. We see a close-up of Akane just as she's using the power on Shikaru to appear as Kasuga just before she tries to rub oil all over And the close-up of her face shows this glint in her eyes just as the purple haze appears too. And this is a stylistic, a small, a very subtle stylistic touch to let us know that there's something going on here. Call it hypnosis, call it suggestion, but she's having some effect specifically on Shikaru because the two are making eye contact. And it might be that that eye contact is important functional mechanic of her being able to appear as Kasuga or anyone else for that matter. And then that would be missing from any bystanders that aren't making eye contact with her. She's not able to make that power of suggestion over them because she's not able to kind of get inside their head vis-a-vis this power that she's got. Now, speaking of craft, this is another scenario wherein the actors get to play someone else. You know, so in the previous OVA, OVA 3, there was the body swapping that occurred between uh, Kurumi and Oji-san and Oji-san and Kasuga. And, and they, the, the voice actor of the character got to play the other character that got swapped into their body. So Kurumi Seiyu is playing Oji-san. Oji-san Seiyu is playing Kurumi. And we get something similar here. We get um, we get to see whenever Akane takes on the appearance of someone, she takes on their voice as well. So we get to see uh, Kasuga Seiyu playing Akane, who's pretending to be him. So there's some layers here, and there's a little bit of craft here as well. Now, because Akane can teleport, this bonus powers of Ka- of Kasuga's cousins always seemed a little unfair to me. Like it's a contrivance of the plot that Ka- Kasuga can't read minds like Kazuya can do. Because if he could, he would just he would know what Ayuko was thinking. He, there would be no mystery to the show. And by the time Akane was introduced and her power set was defined, Casca's was too. So it might have seemed like too much of a stretch to allow him to perform the same powers as Akane when he hadn't been doing so for many chapters before. This point in the episode also makes me wonder, was Akane's plan in rubbing oil on Shikaru while appearing as Kasuga? Was that intended for her to make Kasuga run over to her in order for her to teleport out and, and Kasuga accidentally kind of falls into her place just in time for Ayukawa to catch him? Because this seems a little too contrived even for Orange Road. I don't think Akane could have possibly known that Kasuga would see her from across the pool as she's pretending to be him oiling up Shikaru. And even though Kasuga's reaction in this situation would be fairly easy for Akane to predict... I don't think she would have known that Ayukawa would appear just as Kasuga was hunched over Shikaru 
uh, after I kind of teleported out. And it works twice, so shame on Kasuga. Plus, Akane teleports in full view of everybody at the pool that might be looking twice. Um, again, contrivances to make the plot work without really scrutinizing their own rules. You're not supposed to use the power in public for this very reason. You're not supposed to teleport in front of uh, dozens of strangers at a pool that's jamming in the middle of the day. Ayuko's reactions in this episode seem to make her a little bit more mad than like what her usual level is. She would normally show Kasuga when she was jealous. She would brush him off. She'd do the like hair flip and look the other way thing, kind of, hmm. But she's seeming super pissed here. They're animating her face as like livid. I mean, she's going beyond a little bit miffled at Kasuga. I'm going to ignore you for now. Super pissed. I mean, she even throws a tennis ball in the guy's face. And this is the one element of this episode that makes me think it could be because these events are taking place after the end of episode 48. She might have a little bit more expectations of Kasuga after the end of episode 48 that she wouldn't have had during the uh, summer of 1987. So maybe a little bit of characterization here that helps us to view this after uh, television episode 48, even though, again, she still doesn't know about the power, so I'm I'm not feeling this as being said after episode 48. We cut to Ayukawa having drinks that evening with Akane, and she's pounding him. I mean, Ayukawa is pounding him, which is kind of indicative of Ayukawa's problematic drinking. I may have mentioned it in the past. I do think that Ayukawa displays some evidence of problematic drinking, and I think I've seen it online, too, that other people have speculated that she might have a bit of a a budding alcohol problem. I mean, she's drinking excessively in response to her emotional state which tells me she's self-medicating. Her drinking is also making Akane nervous and uncomfortable. So these two facts, plus her young age, really make it seem like she's kind of has a little bit of a, of a drinking problem. Kazuka showing up at the disco looking like a whole last Saturday night fever is not going to make things better for anybody. It's another contrivance, I think, of, of Orange Road to have this like gang of sexual assailants show up and... Uh, as soon as they start causing trouble, it's like every employee of Disco Mobius and every other patron that was there just disappear. I mean, this was a packed joint two minutes earlier, and these four guys show up and decide they want to sexually assault Ayukawa, and it's like everybody clears out of there. Like, we'll just leave you guys to rape in peace. That is, again, it's another contrivance that the place just empties out. Uh, like some Wild West saloon, you know, like some Clint Eastwood movie. Like, we don't want to get shot, too, so we're going to hightail at home. Um, it seems a little contrived. I think there should have been someone who might intervene uh, on Ayukua and Akane's behalf. And again, these guys get violent super quickly upon being rebuffed. They're slightly less goofy and cartoonish than the goons that appear in the TV series. They're maybe a little bit more serious here in the OVA. They seem to be a little bit more open about their intentions regarding uh, attempted sexual assault on Ayukawa. The characters use less veiled language. They're obviously trying to grab a booby uh, when Kasuga prevents them using the power. They're a little rougher with Kasuga, speaking of whom. I mean, they they actually hold him back. They give him a good shot to the solar plexus, kind of knock the wind out of him. 
Typically in the TV series, the thugs are just a little bit less violent. They use somewhat veiled language like, let's go have fun somewhere, you and me, let's go have a good time, or I'll show you a good time, come with me. Where the OVA, it's a little bit more out in the open, and I think that creates a little bit of a tonal difference. Obviously, the OVA was not intended to be aired on television, so they can get away with a little bit more of the adult stuff, like uh, in the pool when Kasuga uh, jumps in and, and he's trying to catch Akane, but but he he overshoots it because she teleports away and then he winds up grabbing Ayukawa and when they surface he's got his face kind of mushed between her boobies and she gives him that smack there that ruins the rest of his day. You know, they, they don't do as much of that in the television show. They'll definitely give you a shot of Ayukawa's cleavage like in television episode 17 when, when Kasuga notices Ayukawa's neckline. He notices her cleavage at the same time too. They they tell you where Kasuga's eyes are going, but but here they definitely let him get away with a little bit more. Uh, again, that was kind of a contrived thing too, right? I mean, who accidentally sticks their head between someone else's boobs and then just like leaves it there? Like, I don't know how this happened. You know what I mean? Like he's just looking up at her like, I are you going to blame me for this? I have no idea how this could possibly happen. So it definitely seems like it, the OVAs are a little bit more adult, and and that translates here into their encounter with these with these uh, would be sexual assailants. Now, Costco's power use here is more dramatic than usual. It tends to be a little bit more subtle in a television show. You'll hear a little sound as he teleports something, as he moves something, as he teleports himself. It makes that that little sound that we're all used to. But here, it's like. It's, it's over the top, right? These guys are about to hurt Ayukawa, and so they have to add this dramatic flair to it, and it, it reflects itself stylistically, like the way that they animate this whole-ass light show that's going on with Kasuga. Afterward, Kasuga's standing there, and he's like kind of catching his breath, and he's like crackling with electricity as it goes across his body. Like He had this surge there, and I think it's obviously for the, the dramatic element of like, this is not just your usual power use. He's not trying to get milk out of the fridge when he's feeling sick, or he's not trying to go back and forth between a date with Ayukawa and a date with Shikaru. Her safety is on the line. So it's a very traumatic thing that he's witnessing. So obviously his power usage is going to be like over the top, all the way up to 11. Unsurprisingly, the would-be rapists don't have a lot of credibility with the police, so the police don't believe them when they when they try to claim that Kasuga is like Akira or some shit, Ayukawa was so drunk that she didn't seem to notice. There's like after he uses the power and it shows all the thugs laying there, like she's laying there too. Like he he blew her ass away as well. It's kind of funny, but she's she was too drunk to notice, so it's okay. But this is the strongest implication we see in the show that the events depicted in episodes 47 and 48 haven't yet occurred. And I love how the police chewed those guys out. They really chewed those guys out. Instead of arresting them for felony, attempted sexual assault, I'm sorry, those guys need to be in jail. They're literally six dudes trying to hold back two women so that they can grope and fondle them, and who knows what else. Those guys need to go away. I'm just saying, press some fucking charges here, people. Arrest those guys for felonies. Chew them out. You don't chew out would-be rapists, guys. You don't chew them out. If you catch kids... Toilet paper in your house, feel free to chew those kids out. If you catch kids trying to rape Ayukawa, you don't chew them out. You put them in jail for felonies. You got to press charges, people, here. What the hell? 
So I like this episode because we get to see some familiar conflicts uh, that we we just saw in episode 17 of the TV series, and we get to see them play out a little bit differently. So it's not, in some ways, it's repeating these certain conflicts, and it's sort of a trope in Orange Road at this point, but we get to see Kasuga take a slightly different tack. And so it's kind of nice. It shows this little bit of character development, which is why I like watching this episode after episode 17. It shows that he maybe learned something in television episode 17, and now he's applying that lesson when he finds himself in a similar scenario. He seems to have learned to say no, which is good. Kasuga needs that. He needs to be able to assert himself a little bit and say, no, thank you. I have plans with Ayuko today. This is how you can... Juggle your people-pleasing nature, but then still focus on making that one person happy. That's Ayukawa. Kasuga seems to have a overall clearer idea of what he wants. He wants to be with Ayukawa. He wants to spend time with Ayukawa. He's prioritizing his relationship with Ayukawa. He seems more mature overall. So I think this is a good episode, especially for viewing after TV episode 17. Also in this episode, it was just really weird to hear anybody refer to Ayukawa as Madoka-chan. That was weird. What's not weird is you going over to patreon.com slash teamalmy. Please support the show, support Team Almy Studio. Check out Shit Happens When You Party Naked. That is my Patreon-exclusive show, which you will find on the aforementioned link. You'll also get some free merch. I send merch to all tiers, stickers, t-shirts, etc. I will send them to you if you uh, sign up for the Patreon. So I very much appreciate you. Also check out Creatures of the Night. That's another one of my podcasts that I produce with some of my buddies and we produce it for the team, uh, for the Inner Circle Podcast Network. So please go check that out. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you guys can listen to that as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I really, really appreciate it. If you would subscribe, if you would leave a review, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. I always appreciate that. And until next time, let's play some music from the OVAs.
I'm not the one who's lost.